Hi, Nick. Hey, boss. How you doing? I'm good. Or should I call you Thunder Thief, streamer extraordinaire? <laughs> well, thank you very much. Yeah, we uh, the Twitch channel's been uh, growing quite a bit lately, so I'm really glad for that. Thanks for all the support. To anyone who might be listening and have shown support in the past, I appreciate it. Can you give us the address of your Twitch channel? Oh heck, it's just um, yeah. Hold up, let me pull it up real quick. I always forget whether like there's an underscore in the link <laughs> and all that that kind of crap. <laughs> Take me just a second to pull it up. It shouldn't take long, because I'm always going back to it, trying to host people. Yep, it's www.twitch.tv slash T-Y-N-D-E-R underscore thief. Cool. Thank you. Heck yeah, thank you. <laughs> And Nick, you're here today to tell us about the sculptor. The sculptor, yes. Uh, a mysterious and, and you know, endearingly curmudgeonly character in Sekiro. Um... He, of course, as anyone who's played the game for five minutes knows, he's the one who, after Genichiro cuts off our arm and leaves us for dead and takes the divine heir with him, the sculptor's the one who drags us back to the dilapidated temple and nurses us back to health and gives us the shinobi prosthetic, of which we make great use throughout the game. Oh my god, Nick. Spoilers. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> If you played the game for more than five minutes... Plus, honestly, I think we're past the statute of limitations on this game. Like, you shouldn't complain if you get spoiled <laughs> at this point, you know? Only when Richard Elvis. Exactly. <laughs> of course, you know, when he does it, you know, the, the bullying banter is, you know, part of the appeal of the general <laughs> podcast. So he has, to, he has to be the long-suffering straight man and, and kind of take it. <laughs> and we love him for it. about the sculptor what do you know about him well his early background like childhood and stuff like that is basically not spoken of in the game at all so we know pretty pretty much nothing about those aspects of his life um what we do know however is that you know for a long time he was a shinobi um it, it, a lot of what i'm going to say is essentially inferences because there's very little that's just said straight out and i'll try to note where it is like cite to an item description or something Mm -hmm. um, but some of it is sort of inferences based on information you kind of pick up as you go along. Mm -hmm. um, in the uh, at some point, the sculptor became interested in learning the ways of the shinobi for reasons that are altogether mysterious to us, and he started training in the ways of the shinobi in the sunken valley because he was he was kind of a rogue shinobi, kind of a rebel, kind of a you know, march to his own beat kind of guy. So he couldn't find a master. Typically, if you're a shinobi, then you serve a master of some kind and you carry out. Well, just to kind of back up, it's like shinobi and samurai were not necessarily mutually exclusive. They just sort of refer to different things. And one could, at least in historical Japan, be a shinobi and a samurai at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, shinobi are sort of what we think of as your classic ninja. You know, they were assassins. They were counterintelligence. They were sort of like the CIA operatives, I guess you could say, uh, or the MI6 operatives of ancient feudal Japan. Mm -hmm. You know, they would, they, only right. they, their work was a bit bloodier and more brutal. But they essentially did a lot of the same things, intelligence, assassinations. Uh, recon, that type of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so Shinobi was sort of a job description, uh, whereas Samurai was kind of a social class, like like, like sort of the equivalent of a knight. You know, it was a, it was a high social designation, and with that came duties and responsibilities. And you had kind of a strong sense of honor. Samurai are always going on about their honor, and they'll die before they give up their honor. That type of stuff. So it's sort of like you adopted like a knightly code when you became a samurai, and you had a high social standing to go along with. Uh, but with the responsibility to serve your clan and die for it if need be. So it was kind of a double-edged sword. 
as it were. Um, but if you were a shinobi, you typically served a master. And if you didn't have a master to serve, you were a rogue shinobi. And, you know, I guess in this game's universe, apparently if you're a rogue shinobi, nobody trusts you and everybody's sort of will kill you with the slightest provocation. Um, hmm. So the sculptor was at one time a rogue shinobi without a master. And he hooked up with another shinobi whom we know only as Kingfisher. Now, there's some controversy over whether Kingfisher was male or female, and that's because the item descriptions, at least as translated to English, refer to the person alternatively as male and female. Well, not item description. One's an item description, and one is dialogue you get from the sculptor. Like, when the sculptor talks about this person, he refers to the, to the person with the masculine gender, talking about his unique ring, which we'll get to in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the item description for the slender finger clearly belongs to that person, and it refers to the person as a female, a young woman. Uh, so there's some sort of dispute, I guess, because yeah. of what I think is a translation boo-boo, whether Kingfisher was a male or a female. I I tend to think female because the finger was, you know, slender. Mm-hmm. And if you, and from what I've seen, if you look at the Japanese, it seems a bit more likely that that would have been a gender-specific reference. And you don't have a lot of gender-specific references in Japanese compared to English, but yeah. in that context, it would have referred to the gender. And if it's a direct translation, then it would have been female. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's not the first time that... Uh... The translations and from games are a little iffy when it comes to whether we're talking about uh, somebody who's male or female in the item. Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> like, for instance, my personal theory is that Ornstein was a woman, not a man. Um, mm-hmm. But there's one item description that refers to Ornstein and the masculine gender in English. But from what I've heard from people much more knowledgeable about Japanese, it's actually at least arguably a gender neutral reference. Oh, interesting. Um, so, yeah, so I, my personal theory is that Ornstein from Dark Souls is a woman. I can't prove it except by the shapeliness of the armor is my only evidence <laughs> to back that up. <laughs> you know, if you look at the armor, it's very shapely for a man. It looks know. like um, that figurine, the fertility figurine. Right. It looks like a, like, a, like a perfectly sculpted fertility goddess. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so it's like, I think there's a woman underneath there just because of the shapeliness of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and of course, you, know, you never see Ornstein outside the armor, so it can't be disproved. Um, but that's just one instance where Japanese is much less gender-specific than English is on average. Mm-hmm. But from what I found in the item description for the Slender Finger, that is one instance where contextually you would have seen a gender-specific reference in Japanese. So if that is a direct translation, then it, it's probably canon that Kingfisher was a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, that's just a little aside, because I know people are going to wonder about it. it. It's not totally clear whether they were a woman or a man, but it seems like uh, they were a woman. It, with the slender slenderness of the finger and with the whole translation stuff. Um, and so if you had different teams working on the translation for the dialogue than the item description, it's, it's pretty easy to see how that might have gotten mangled up. You know? Yeah, for sure. Especially given FromSoft's legendary quality control on <laughs> localization. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Which is uh, shoddy at best, <laughs> you know, as we've come to know. Uh, but it gives us lots of stuff to argue and talk about. So there you cool. go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm going to proceed assuming that Kingfisher was a woman. Okay. Uh, and so he trained uh, in the Sunken Valley. Sunken Valley is where you find the monkey. All those monkeys. You got monkeys with swords. You got monkeys with guns. <laughs> you got all kind of monkeys. Um, so Sunken Valley is where the monkeys are. Just, just think, the, and the big statues with like the... Or it's kind of giving you, like, the OK symbol with its fingers. And another thing is, like, if you see that symbol, you're going to get punched. <laughs> you are. <laughs> so they, they train together in the ways of the shinobi in the Sunken Valley. Um, and Kingfisher had a very slender finger. 
uh, and a special ring. And she could use, she could whistle through this ring on her finger. It's the Malcontents ring, and you get it after you defeat the Shichiman warrior who appears after you defeat the twin guardian apes. Uh-huh. Um, and she, she used to blow through it, and the sound would fill the valley, and it would soothe the sculptor. He used to enjoy hearing that sound. He heard it quite often, and it was soothing to him. Like, after a, a long day of training, they would sit and rest, and she would blow on the whistle, it would fill the valley, and it would soothe him. It's kind of a nice way to end oh, the day. Yeah. You know what you're making me think of right now? What's up? Remember Dark Souls 3, uh, Loretta's Bone? Mm, yep. Yeah, and it says old discolored human bone with several holes bored into it. And then mm-hmm. it's like a woman's corpse and the undead settlement was found clutching this bone. Her name was Loretta. I don't know. It kind of makes me think of that. You know what? It does now that you mention it. Because um, it could be just from soft reusing ideas. No, no, no. It confirms a shared universe, Nick. Oh, that's right. Well, actually, speaking of shared universe, Vati Vidya has an interesting video on that very subject. Um, he, he he said that he doesn't necessarily believe this theory. He's just putting it out there to see what people think of it. Mm-hmm. But he's got a fairly plausible argument that Demon Souls, Dark Souls, and Bloodborne all take place in the same timeline. Well, he's not totally wrong, because we know that Bloodborne was a sequel to Demon Souls to begin with. So, Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's not totally implausible that there'd be a connection there, mm-hmm. you know. Um, just like Sekiro was, I think, supposed to be a remake of Tenchu at one point, but then they made it its own IP for whatever reason. Yeah, the Soul of Cinder told us about it when he was on the podcast. <laughs> he sounds who sounded suspiciously like Gale. Uh, I don't know. Really, I don't, I don't hear it. I don't think so. Oh uh, yeah, I could be wrong though. <laughs> I could be wrong. It's almost as if the same voice actor voiced both. <laughs> yeah. Because I could, I could. You know, it just could, it could just be that I'm so used to FromSoft reusing voice actors yeah, that it's sort of go. imprinted into my mind, you know, <laughs> subconsciously. I perceive it even when it's not there. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so hold up. Where the heck was I? Oh, yeah. So at some point, the uh, like, you know, the, the, the sculptor was the kind of shinobi that I guess no one would want to take on as a master. So was Kingfisher. So they trained together in the Valley of the Monkeys, also known as the Sunken Valley. Uh-huh. Uh, and it was perilous training, you know, where one misstep could lead to your death. Uh-huh. Um. And so it was daily, rigorous, and life-threatening training. Um, now, at some point after, well, they, they trained there. The monkeys were there, and I think they watched the movements of the monkeys because the monkeys could navigate the perilous terrain effortlessly. So I think, okay, let's emulate the movements of the monkeys so we don't fall and you know, break our heads on the ground. Uh, and so they, both Kingfisher and the uh, sculptor came to move like monkeys. To the point where the sculptor's nickname at one point was Orangutan. Kind of like Owl and Wolf, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he was called Orangutan. And at one point when Emma's talking to him, she calls him Orangutan. Uh, towards the end when you can eavesdrop on the two, mm-hmm. you know. So he became known as Orangutan. Um, now at some point, the sculptor and Kingfisher parted ways. Uh, it, the game doesn't say why they parted ways. I don't think it was acrimonious. I just think they just kind of decided to go their separate ways. In uh, matter of fact, it may have been the Ashina Rebellion that occasioned their separation. I sort of speculate that it was, mm-hmm. um, because it is, is it, this isn't one hundred percent confirmed in the game. But I think that a lot of the killing and the murder and the things that uh, the sculptor comes to regret and is trying to sort of atone for by carving the sculptors were perpetrated during the Ashina Rebellion. Um, and for context, of course, you know the Ashinas, the whole area where most of the game takes place is called Ashina. Named for the Ashina clan, led by everybody's favorite final boss, Ishin Ashina. Yay! And just a brief, you know, kind of a brief history on that. You know, the Ashina came essentially 
they didn't so much conquer that land as they took it back. Like the Ashina settled the land to begin with. Um, and during that time, or maybe before that time, they had sort of a war with the, you know, the weird looking people you see at Fountainhead, the Okami tribe. Yeah, when the Divine Dragon came to the West and established Fountainhead, it gave rise to that race of people who sort of spread out to where the Ashina eventually settled. I don't know whether the Ashina had to drive them out to take the land in the first place or whether they just came after the Ashina settled the land. But at some point, there was a fight between the Ashina and the Okami clan mm-hmm. for control over that land. And that's uh, more or less proven by the, you know, the Sabimaru item description, which indicates that the Sabimaru is a national treasure in Ashina because of its effectiveness against the Okami clan, the weird-looking people you see at Fountainhead. Um, so yeah, there was war there, and then when the Ashina finally established their control over the land, uh, it seems that they were overtaken by the central forces in the, in the interior ministry. Uh, but then they rebelled and took back their land. And that in the, that initial fight scene you see at the beginning of the game, where Ishin kills this big hulking dude with a spear, um, that was sort of the final battle of the rebellion when Ishina finally took back the land, you know. Uh, and so under Ishin's leadership, they took back the land, and thus it was for 17 years. But when we arrive at the game, we find that uh, the Interior Ministry and Central Forces are mobilizing to retake, or I guess re-retake, <laughs> I don't know, the land. Retake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, I think really all they're waiting for is Ishin to die. Uh, because if you know if you play through the game and don't do the Shura ending, uh, Ishin will die, and shortly after that, the Interior Ministry and the Central Forces will invade. You know. So I think they were just waiting for Ishin to die. So they let's hit them while they're mourning their leader, you know. Makes sense. Um, and so, yeah, so under Ishin's leadership, they took back the land, and that's what we see at the beginning of the game, the final battle. All the throat slitting and all of the poking and the prodding with sharp objects and all of the yeah. violence there is sort of the end of the rebellion. And I think that the sculptor fought with Ashina during the rebellion. I said all that to say, to give some context for the fact that I think that during the rebellion against the central forces in the interior ministry, I think the sculptor fought for mm-hmm. the Ashina. Because um, he seems to have some lingering ill will against the central forces. When Emma brings it up that they've invaded, he says you know, they, they never stopped their thieving ways. You know, It's like he has a grudge against them. So it seems reasonable to infer that he fought against them alongside the Ashina clan. Um, and the, the things he did, apparently, during that time were so terrible and so Awful. He killed a lot of people, resorted to some brutal means, and he, I guess he accumulated a lot of spirit emblems, because the spirit emblems sort of symbolize the regret that you have when you kill people. Mm. You know, the shinobi who killed a lot of people have to bear a lot of spirit emblems that represent the resentment and the guilt over that. Uh, and apparently he accumulated quite a few of them, so many that he had to res- go off to the dilapidated t- temple and resort to car- carving these little Buddha right. idols. Did I just say Buddha? <laughs> Buddha idols. <laughs> carving these little Buddha idols. And what I think all that's about is, you know, clearly these things have some supernatural element to them. When you find them out in the wild, they re- refresh your health. That's where you respawn when you die. They can be used to teleport from one to the next. You know, clearly these things have some supernatural power built into them, mm-hmm. right? And so what I think's going on with the carving of the sculptures, uh, which he does zealously. I can forget which item description it is, but it says that he zealously carves these Buddha sculptures. And the reason for that, it kind of goes back to, I think, the, the last interaction he had with Ishin Ishina. Because when you ask him about his own, I think after you give him a drink and he starts talking about his missing arm, he says that uh, Ishin is the one who cut off his arm. But he did it for the sculptor's sake, because the sculptor was on the verge of transforming into what's called a, a Shura. Which, you know, in one of the endings of Sekiro, Wolf yeah. will transform yeah. into a Shura. 
So um, I guess that's worth some brief explanation. Shura is, I guess, sort of a transliteration over from Asura, which is a Buddhist concept derived from Hinduism. And it's essentially one of like the four unhappy births of Buddhism. It's like a person who is irascible, can't get along with anybody, will look for any excuse to resort to force or violence, and can't do anything peaceably. Full of ego and force and violence and ill will, right? So basically, um, Richie. <laughs> Richie the Great Shura going to transform into the demon of hatred eventually and kill us all. Um, <laughs> exactly. So when, uh, and then, and, and clearly there's a connection between Shura and the demon of hatred because in the Shura entering, in, as Wolf is becoming Shura, you see him, he's slowly starting to be engulfed with these flames, mm-hmm. you know. So he's started his transformation. And so the sculptor was at one point in time on the verge of turning into a Shura until Ishin cut off his arm and that somehow stopped the transformation. And what causes that is, you know, the accumulated guilt of bloodshed and other evil deeds, the remorse, the resentment, um, you know, the guilt, all of that stuff just sort of built up. And it, you know, there, are con- there are spiritual consequences to that in this universe, and you'll eventually transform into a Shura because of it. And Ishin defines a, sh- a fully transformed Shura as one who is enraptured with killing. They kill solely for the joy it brings, I and mean, they can think of nothing else but killing. So they're, like, they're high on bloodshed, and that's all they want to do, and so they just go around killing whoever they can until they're put down. You know? So that was what the sculptor was on the verge of becoming until Ishin cut off his arm. And then, you know, it, it, it apparently spooked him a bit, so that's when he retreated to the temple and started carving these sculptures. And I think that what's happening with theirs is twofold. He indicates that he can never get them quite right. The, the faces are always contorted with, with wrath, right? Because I don't think his, his own anger that drove him to do all those misdeeds ever really subsided. Um, and it, it may have had to do with, you know, the loss of whatever happened with Kingfisher and then all the misdeeds in the uh, Ashina Rebellion. A lot of it's kind of murky. But so he's channeling whatever it is. He's channeling that negative energy that's going to cause the transformation into those, sculpt- into those sculptures. And I think this is confirmed with the dialogue with Emma where he says, you know, I could carve Buddha statues for all eternity and the flames of hatred would still burn. The most I can do is keep them in check, right? So he just keeps carving those sculptures and putting that malice and all that negative energy into them. And it's sort of like, you know, there's a hole in the boat and it's sinking and you're using a pail to kind of get the water out of the boat, right? To keep from sinking, that type of thing. It's always building up and he's just pouring it into these sculptures as fast as he can to keep from turning into a shura. Um... But I think that if he believes anyway, that if he ever carves one that looks happy and kind, kind of like the one you, you sit at the one idol and go to the memory of the Hinata estate, that one has kind of a kind face. I think he's trying to carve one like that with the kind face, but he can only carve what he sees in his visions, and all he sees in his visions is wrath and flames and, and bloodshed or whatever. Yeah. You know? I think that reflects that he's so full of malice and resentment that he can't possibly carve a Buddha with a kind and gentle face that's perfectly at peace yeah. and serene. Yeah. He just can't. It's not in him. He's not at peace. So his his work cannot reflect someone who's at peace. Um, but he's sort of keeping it in check by constantly carving these sculptures, and the only one who comes to visit him really is Emma before we get there. Mm-hmm. And Hanbei, the Undying, is there as well. Um, you know, our, our punching bag, which is very convenient. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, there's a bit of a connection between the sculptor and Emma as well, because when she was a child during the war, she, he essentially found her on the battlefield. She was apparently orphaned and starving, and he, he was sitting there eating like a rice ball. Um, and she just stood there and stared at the rice ball, like, I tongue we, you know. Aww. 
this cute little girl staring at the rice bowl, and he just, you know, he, he couldn't stand it. He just saw the, I guess, the pitiful look on her face, and he gave her the rice bowl, and she ate it. And from that point, she oh. she went with him, you know, and he had yeah. essentially taken her on as a foster child. Um, so kind of like um, Owl adopted Sekiro? Kind of the same thing, yeah. Owl found Sekiro yeah. on the battlefield and adopted him. You know, for his own selfish purposes, as we come to find out. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm going to train this kid to be a shinobi warrior so I can take over Japan. Um, <laughs> yep. You know. So it was purely selfish. But yeah, the same, kind of the same sense that Owl found Wolf on the battlefield and took him in as a foster child. Uh-huh. So orangutan took in emma temporarily and then dogen the physician eventually formally adopted her yeah after that she went with him because the life of a physician of a physician's daughter was probably much more suited to her personality than the life of a shinobi's daughter Uh because uh dogen was uh is it dogen or dojin well dojin is the dude i think dojin is the dude we find down in the dungeon yeah okay and he he asked, so, us to, he asked us to do all these terrible things so that he can right. experiment. Right, Dogen in the dungeon, and Dogen is the other one. Okay, yep. so yeah, so Dogen, he was sort of like an inventor as well as a doctor. Right, he's the and one who... Emma, yeah. Oh, no, I'm go sorry, ahead. go ahead. Yeah. No, yeah, and like you were about to say, uh, he's the one who built the prosthetic for the sculpture. Exactly right, yep, he's the one who... Yeah. It, conveniently, it's a left arm, and conveniently, we use, we lose the left arm instead of the right yeah. arm. Yeah. <laughs> What a coincidence. Exactly. It's very yeah. convenient. Mm-hmm. And uh, Emma followed in his footsteps, sort of, because uh, she also became a doctor. Right, right. She didn't become a machinist, you know, like he was, but she did become a doctor. Yeah. But she also became, uh, she's called the Gentle Blade, but she's pretty hardcore. Yeah. Her fighting style is kind of similar to Orin of the Water, a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But if, if you fight, you'll fight her in the Shura ending, because she's trying to stop you from becoming Shura and mm-hmm. whatnot. There's a little bit of a shinobi in her. A little bit, yeah. I mean, clearly she learned oh. swordsmanship. She, I think she, I, Ishin's the one who trained her in swordsmanship. Oh. Because she eventually, as we know, she eventually right. became Ishin's personal physician. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason she's helping us is because Ishin does not want Genichiro, his adopted grandchild. Genichiro was like a peasant boy, and Ishin essentially mm-hmm. found him on the battlefield and adopted him, more or less. Like so, so everybody just like <laughs> adopting these orphans of the battlefield? Pretty much. <laughs> but... Um, Genichiro saw that Ashina was in decline, and he knew that the central forces were going to invade, and he saw that Ashina, as it was, would not be able to withstand it. And so Genichiro was looking for any sort of arcane supernatural power he could use to Mm -hmm. resist the invasion and restore Ashina to its former glory. And Ishin didn't care for that. You know, he didn't want uh, Genichiro to be making use of the rejuvenating waters, which is sort of a corrupted source of immortality, to put it briefly. Um, Mm -hmm. He didn't want Ishin to do all these arcane and heretical things, and so that's why Emma's helping us to sort of resist Genichiro and thwart him. Because um, after that, after we defeat him at the top of the castle, you know, Ishin thanks us for it and names us. Well, he doesn't name us Sekiro there. He's he, Spoiler alert, Ishin is the, the, the Tengu, the guy in the mask, who names us Sekiro. <laughs> spoiler alert. He's the Tengu. <sighs> and so, yeah, he's the one who names us Sekiro. But yeah, he congratulates us for defeating Genichiro because he doesn't want Ashina to be making use of all these heretical arcane, devious magics. You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Genichiro's like, nah, my clan, my clan! So, you gotta <laughs> admire his resolve even if he is kind of stupid about it in the end. Yeah. You know? But anyway, so Ishin adopted Genichiro as his grandchild. So everybody's sort of connected to everybody else, I guess. Once you start to peel back the layers of the onion. You know who else adopts 
um, I guess, children of a battlefield. Mm -hmm. Berserk. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure that's just a coincidence. Nah, because as as has been established (laughs) beyond doubt, there Miyazaki drew absolutely no inspiration from Berserk whatsoever. Never has, and never will. (laughs) Oh yeah, where the heck was I though? (laughs) (laughs) Good question. So yeah, there's that connection with the sculptor Emma and the sculptor Dogen who made the uh, over countless iterations made the Shinobi prosthetic as we understand it. Uh And then, of course, the sculptor comes down with dragon rot. So to get to really good dialogue, you have to cure him of it. And then you can feed him sake, and he'll say a lot of interesting things depending on, like, which sake. <laughs> that's true, yeah. You give him. And then it, that's when he talks about how he found Emma, how Dogen made the, um, Dogen made the prosthetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, all that good stuff. Yeah. And his time in the valley with uh, Kingfisher. Mm-hmm. All of that good stuff. That's that's where you learn all that stuff in the game is just by giving him sake. Same with Ishin, you'll get different dialogue with him. Same with Emma, you'll get dialogue uh-huh. with her if you give him whiskey. Because you just just get him a little bit drunk and they'll tell you yeah, anything. Just get him drunk. <laughs> they'll talk. Kind of like uh, Elaine in Seinfeld, you know, just peach schnapps was the key to the vault, and she'd spill all of her secrets. <laughs> they're just they're, booze, the the great revealer of truth. Or in our case, it would be snacks. I had a cupcake this morning for breakfast. Um, so I guess that's a good way to honor the snack. Cousin. There we go. Yeah. Excellent. You want me to tell you all our richest secrets? Just give me a Lebanese poutine. <laughs> I'm actually really curious about the Demon of Hatred. And uh, mm-hmm. I asked um, in Discord if people had any theories about why Sculptor turns into the Demon of Hatred. And so I'm just going to read some of the answers now and then we can talk about it. Sure thing. So carbon monoxide says when the ministry invaded Ashina, he was probably overcome with rage and couldn't control himself anymore. Considering just mm. talking about his past gets him riled up and agitated. The invasion must have been the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, Present said that it probably has something to do with Kingfisher's death. Um, Art Fighter 3 Third Funk said, I tend to think his transformation has been going on for a long time. He's already pretty big and hairy by the time we meet him. <laughs> the, yeah. mm-hmm. the invasion probably just sped up the process, or he might have willingly let it take him over to provoke a conflict to get himself killed. I also get the impression he had accepted his transformation as unavoidable, mainly from how many failed Buddha carvings he had. And uh, the vacuous Paul says, I actually think he got kind of blood drunk. From his years as a shinobi fighting, his lost limb, he may have started enjoying killing and enjoying his rage in some way. Some people do tend to let themselves indulge in their negative feeling and thought to some degree, and I think that's what happened to him. Drake653 says, In my opinion, the sculptor turned into the demon of hatred because of his ties with that weird Buddha he keeps carving. He carved them in so many places, it's hard to think he doesn't have some kind of connection to the deity it represents. And then P.I.S.S. says, (laughs) clearly because he hated that Ludwig killed Maria. (laughs) That was it. Solved. 
<laughs> okay, well, what do you think, Nick? Why do you think he turned into the demon of hatred? I think there's a there's a lot in there I agree with. Uh, but let me sort of see if I can sort of present mm-hmm. it in a concise and straightforward way. Like, yeah, I think there's. I don't think it was like any one factor. I think it was multiple factors that kind of coalesced with the invasion sort of being the, as someone put it, the straw that broke the the proverbial straw that broke the equally proverbial camel's mm-hmm. back. Um, I think that it sort of stems from he was turning into Ashura, which is sort of an incarnation of bloodlust, until Ishin cut off his arm. So clearly he was headed down this path. Um, and I think there's at least a connection between transforming into Ashura and then transforming into the Demon of Hatred for two reasons. One, it's hinted that in the Shura ending, well, it, it's stated that we become Ashura almost, um, all but stated. And then it's hinted that we also become a demon because it talks about how after we become Ashura that it was the bloodiest massacre that was ever seen in the area. Very few survived. And it was said that for long after a demon roamed the land. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think in the Shura ending, we become <clears throat> something like the demon of hatred. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's clearly a connection, you know, between all the resentment and all the bloodlust that leads you to being Ashura and transforming into the demon of hatred, which I think is actually better translated demon of resentment. Um, that may be more precise as to, you know, what drives the transformation, but demon of hatred sounds sexier. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know and, it, and it's close, it's conceptually tied to resentment, you know, mm-hmm. so they're not totally off base with that, I don't think, you know. Yeah, he kind of reminds um, me of Lawrence, by the way. Oh, big time. Yeah. It, it's like, let's stick a Bloodborne boss in <laughs> Pretty much, I mean, that's pretty much what they did. It's like, you're, you're going to deplete his health before you break his posture, almost certainly. You know, so it's classic Bloodborne Dark Souls fight where you dodge around and chip away at his health, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's not your typical posture-breaking Sekiro mm-hmm. fight. It, they, they stuck a Bloodborne fight in there and said, all right, mm-hmm. we've trained you one way, now let's harken back to, you know, our bread and butter here and <laughs> let's just chip away at his health until he dies. We can't just put Berserk <laughs> references in there. <laughs> Gotta be a little more original. We gotta reference other things that are berserk references, not <laughs> yeah. just berserk directly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a bloodborne fight. That, that's essentially Lawrence ported over to Sekiro, I think. <laughs> you know, with some modifications around the edges. Mm-hmm. You know, pretty much. If people say cleric beast, nah, it's Lawrence, dude. Of course, Lawrence is essentially the cleric beast on fire. But yeah, I can try to see why people say cleric beast. But it's Lawrence ported over to Sekiro. No, no doubt in my mind. <laughs> you know? But yeah. um... So the fact that all of his hatred and resentment and bloodlust were on the verge of transforming him into Ashura, it spooked him. And he started carving the idols, again, I think, to sort of stave off that transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think he literally poured a piece of his malice and his hatred into each statue. And that's why he couldn't carve a serene one, couldn't carve a happy one, couldn't carve up one that was worth offering up as atonement for his past transgressions, you know. Right. And right. so that, that mounting hatred, that mounting resentment, which always welled up and never fully subsided was kept more or less in check as he as he kept uh carving the statues but it was at a it was a very rough and and tenuous equilibrium and to put an analogy to it like he was he was paling the water out of the boat about as fast as it was coming in yeah and so he wasn't sinking but he wasn't you know making any progress towards not sinking either um and so when Ishin dies uh the invasion takes place and Assuming that he fought against the central forces in the interior of industry in the first rebellion, that may have just been too much for him. Right. Yeah. Like he he fought for Ashina, he fought to establish Ashina and take back the land that had initially been taken from them. You know, and he obviously had hatred for the central ministry and the for the central forces in the interior ministry. Mm-hmm. 
And so when, when they sort of started to overrun the land, I'm thinking there's some truth to the notion that it was just too much. It sort of, the water started coming in much faster than it could be paled out, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and he sunk and transformed into the demon of hatred. Which is interesting if you think about the location of the boss fight. He's completely closed in. There's a cliff on one side and there is, you know, walls and gates on all the other sides. He's completely surrounded, you know. He's essentially confined to Gyobu's boss arena, right? Um, and that could be due to one of two things. Um, maybe with his last moments of lucidity, he went there knowing that they would seal him in, and that was kind of an effort to minimize the casualties of the inevitable rampage, you know? Yeah. Either that, or he was headed straight for the interior ministry to cause all the, har- all the harm he could, and they just happened to manage to wall him in there. You know, I tend to think it was the former because, you know, he kind of talks to us as we're just about to defeat him and thanks us for killing him, you know? Yeah. So I kind of think that in, in his last, with his last bit of clarity, he deliberately went to where we fight Yobu, knowing that they would seal him in there and it would minimize the casualty um, once he lost control and went on his, you know, Hulk rampage. Yeah, he seems like somebody who would who would not want to harm people anymore, you know? Like, he's trying to not be his old self, but... Right. Yeah, I think he's trying to leave that behind, but I think it's, um... I think the whole thing is kind of a metaphor for the dangers of obsession and the dangers of holding on to resentment. Yeah. You know? Like it, it does change you. It doesn't change you into a hulking beast, but it changes you into kind of a nasty, unpleasant person. Mm-hmm. It's better to let the resentment go. Yeah. You know, don't let, don't let, pe- don't let what people do fester and get to you. You know, don't ruminate on the, the bad things that people do to you. That's true. Or it's going to turn you into a hulking demon of hate. <laughs> <laughs> in a, in a very, in a metaphorical sense, of course. No, maybe literally. Maybe literally, who knows, right? <laughs> Can you imagine you're mad one day, like, oh, it's Monday again, walk into work, turn into a demon, kill everyone. Yep. Third time this week. <laughs> With that, yeah, I think that I agree with a lot of what's in there about the reasons for the transformation and sort of what it all relates to. Um, there's a bit of the, the invasion was sort of the catalyst, but it was building for a long, long time before that. And the statues were his only way to direct that malice somewhere else. Uh-huh. Uh, but he can never, because I, I, th- I, I think he can never fully escape from it, because I don't think he ever really let go of whatever it was that initially turned him down the path of bloodshed, uh-huh. you know? Like he wanted to, like he 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 with in carving the the statues, he was treating the symptom but not the cause, you know. Yeah, that's actually a very good analogy. Yeah, I think he was just never able to let go of whatever it was that sent him down the path of bloodshed to begin with. Yeah, I wonder if we'll find out more in the DLC. We may. If there so. is there going to be DLC? Of course, it's a from game. It's a from Come soft on, game. of course, there's gonna <laughs> of course there's going to be a DLC. When I'm rusty at the game, <laughs> to learn it again. Um, and, and just to speculate, it, it, it mm-hmm. may have been, it could be that whatever happened between him and Kingfisher, you mm-hmm. know, set him down that path. Because he was, he was, he, it seemed like he was essentially happy there, training with her in the mountains or in the valley to become a shinobi. Mm-hmm. You know, he enjoyed listening to her pl- blow on a ring and fill the valley with the serene sound. And even when he's, transformed into the demon if you get the slender finger and the malcontents ring and you blow on it um it'll it's sort of like the, the fight with gas coin you, music box yeah. yeah you play the music box it sues him because it reminds him of his daughter 
And then when you when you whistle through the malcontents ring, it reminds him of Kingfisher. And so he hmm. sort of it stuns him for a moment. Mm-hmm. And you can get some get some hits in. Yeah, that's sad. <laughs> because I'm because I'm an idiot. I didn't actually use the slender finger. <laughs> no, it's because you're a pro. You don't yeah, need your land gimmicks. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. It's a, I, I, I never use the music box for Gaskell either. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just going to beat him straight up or not at all. You know. <laughs> Although sometimes I'll cheese Mikolas because I just don't want to deal with having to chase him every time I die to the call beyond. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll, I'll cheese him, but otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, um, and about Kingfisher, of course she was eaten by the Guardian Ape because yeah. we find the Slender Finger in the Guardian Ape's belly. Yeah. But we... Don't find the malcontents <laughs> ring. Interestingly, we find the malcontents ring when we fight the Shichiman warrior who spawns after we defeat the twin guardian apes mm-hmm. in the same area. Um, and based upon that, like there's almost no lore out there on the Shichiman warriors. Like I, I, I looked. Mm-hmm. There's there's almost nothing but speculation. You know, you say. Been... Sorry, go on. Uh, oh, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, uh, you're saying we find like what if the ape just ate her finger? And not the rest of her. Not the rest of her. It could be like with Captain Hook, the, the gator just bit off his hand. Yeah. And not the rest of him. <laughs> oh, heck, what if uh, what if the lady, you know, that old lady we come across? I don't know if she's missing a hand. If she's missing a hand, that that could be her. There we go, <laughs> just, mystery told. Because she's she seems to care about his uh his well being and sort of feel sorry for him because he turned into the demon. Ah. You know. Um. Of course, her dialogue changes depending upon certain things. Mm-hmm. But she seems to, to give a crap, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so maybe it was her, or at least someone who knew them. Um, yeah. Or some speculate that the Shichimin warrior you fight. The reason I was saying that there's almost no lore, it's like almost everything out there on the Shichimin warriors is pretty much speculation. Mm-hmm. Um, we know much more about the Headless than we do about the Shichimin warriors, mm-hmm. which is also not much, but <laughs> something. Right. Um, basically, the Headless were the the guys who the sugar candies were named after. You know, mm-hmm. just to boil it down. <laughs> yeah. Um, but with the Shichiman Warriors, it's speculated that the one you fight in the same arena where you fight the twin guardian ape, uh, some people say that was her. Huh. That's her spirit. Interesting. You know, she died, and yeah. that's her spirit there. Because when you kill it, you get the uh, you get the malcontents ring. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, if you, oh, well, that, that was her ring. So this, this Shichiman Warrior has the ring, so, well, maybe it was her. Yeah. Yeah, that's her spirit. And you're kind of laying it to rest yeah. when you defeat it. Which, it makes about as much sense as anything else I've seen on the Shichiman Warriors, which is not much, because there's not much to see. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. Mm-hmm. I'll uh, acknowledge that that's speculation, but it's got some foundation, mm-hmm. you know. But yeah, so, that's pretty much all you would want to know, I guess, about the sculptor. Oh, excellent! Um, but yeah, and, and, that, and hopefully my articulation of why the, the connection between his malice and the transformation, all that, hopefully all that made sense. And yeah, it did. Hopefully I addressed it what did. the people said in the Discord, yeah. Excellent, well, thank you so much, Nick. Thank you, boss, for having me. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. Awesome, and uh, can you tell us again where people can find you? Oh, yes, uh, we're on YouTube, Twitter, and Twitch. Uh, YouTube is youtube.com slash cinder underscore thief, and cinder is with a Y, because... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to have to put a number behind it on my <laughs> Gmail address. <laughs> so, it's with a Y. Um, and then same thing with Twitch. Twitch.tv slash Cinder underscore Thief. And same for Twitter. Twitter.com Cinder underscore Thief. Um, 
And on, I don't know if this podcast will be out by then, but we're actually doing a 24-hour stream on May the 25th, starting at 5 Eastern Time. So if you want to watch me lose my mind. <laughs> Excellent. Wouldn't miss it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Nick. All right, boss. Have a great night. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye.